For the past couple of weeks, we have been setting up a grow season into a go and a sow season. We've laid this out, if you're visiting with us today, that we are believing and praying at Grace Community Church about stepping into the Great Commission. Uh, Casey, I'm, I don't know where you're going. Uh, did you get that print off for me? Um, and if so, go do it. If not, all right, somebody stay on the screen until she gets back. Um, I, I've been looking at this very extensively in my life. And one thing we've known, we've been sitting here on this property a little over nine years. And one of the things that we have not done as a church is we have not reached McGuire Road. And, and, and I know that we've gone to the Philippines, we've built churches there, we've gone to Jamaica, and we've done churches in the, 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 the desolate side of Jamaica, and we've, we've put people all over the world, we've gone to Romania, we've been in other places, but yet we haven't reached McGuire. And so when you look at the Great Commission, the Great Commission tells us to go where? To all the world, right? So somebody, somebody define this for me. All means where? Everywhere. All means who? Everybody. All right, regardless of your feelings towards them, regardless of whether or not you believe they deserve grace. By the way, if you deserve it, they deserve it. I'm a little bit loud, so I'm making sure I'm on the right channel. Can you get that? All right, so if you deserve it, they deserve it. You agree? All right, even if you don't think they deserve it, God thinks they deserve it, and that's all that matters. As I look at this, in our purpose statement that we have at Grace, it says something to the effect of we are going to use the great commandments to accomplish the great commission. That together, we're going to come together using the great commandments. What were the two great commandments Jesus gave? Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he said, equally as important, all right, is love your neighbor. All right, in other words, it's like this. You cannot say you love God and hate your neighbor. The Bible says you only deceive yourself. All right, you know how we know if you love God? The way you love others. All right, so examine. That's a good way to look. How do I know if I'm loving God and walking in a relationship with him? Are you loving other people? Because if you love God, you can't help but love what God loves, and God loves people. Matter of fact, John 3, 16 starts like this. For God so what? Loved. What did he do? He so loved that he what? All right, write it down. If you truly love, it brings you to action. All right, and so God didn't say, I so love the world that I sent a card. I so love the world that I sent a text message. I so love the world that I just told him I'm praying for him and that I'm here if they ever need me. He said, no, I love the world enough that I'm gonna do something. And I'm telling you now, I believe in our churches we are messing this up in a royal way. We're saying we love and we're saying that God loves, but then we don't do anything. We don't get involved in our community. We don't get involved in helping people. We don't involve in helping them grow. Matter of fact, can I give you this? At the end of every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus petitions them to go. It's the way he ends his ministry. In, in, in Matthew and in Mark, you find the great commission echoed. In, in John, he tells Peter, go feed my sheep. In Luke, he, he says that his message will be proclaimed to all nations in chapter 24 and verses 47 through 48. Here's what it means. When Jesus had resurrected from the dead, when Jesus was about to ascend back home, when the chapter of Jesus' life as a human on earth was about to close, the final statement, which let's be honest, if we were in a human nature, we would call this a deathbed statement. Now, was it his deathbed? No, it was his ascension moment. In his final statements as he leaves the ground, 
He's urging them to go. And I'm going to tell you this, and I want you to get this clearly. God so loved, he gave, he came. And he came so that you and I would have an opportunity at his grace, so that you and I would have an opportunity at salvation. But God so loved us that the most important thing on Jesus' mind as he's going back to the Father is to get that message out, to go into all the world. He didn't sit there and say, hey, these are the 10 things you got to do every day. These are the things you should pray every day. These are the things that I want and expect. And these are the things I'm looking for. No, when Jesus is ascending, he looks at them and says, go, 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 go do something. And I've said this so many times, I'm going to echo it again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four books of the Bible we call the Gospels. You know why we call them the Gospel? For those of you new to your faith, I, I sat down and I did some math. We've had somewhere between 52 and, and 60 people saved in the last two months. So in that, we got to understand this in our services, that we got to stop talking as if everybody knows Genesis to Revelations, and we got to go back. You know why it's called the Gospels? Because it's about Jesus. Jesus was living out and doing what needed to be done for our salvation. It's the gospel that brings you to salvation. So those four books of the Bible are about the life of Christ and what Christ did. And matter of fact, some of them wrote... John even wrote, if I were to write down all the things he did, there's not enough volumes of books in the world to contain it. In other words, the miracles, the things that he has done were way more than we have in the scripture. But understand this, it was a model for us on how to live by faith in God, but then it was a door to us on how we can have access to God through salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And so the gospels end in this resulting book called Acts. I said it this way, maybe you've heard it, you're sick of hearing it. We'll stop saying it when we live it. Ready? You can't go through the Gospels and not wind up in action. You can't do it even in the Word of God. Acts is about the disciples going out. In the very second chapter of Acts, we find one of the biggest revivals that's ever started on the face of the planet where people were getting saved daily and 3,000 people were added to the church in a single day. All right, now when we say church in America, we think grace community. When you say church in the Word of God, you're thinking family of God kingdom. You got this? By the way, when we say church, stop thinking grace community. All right, can, I, can I really get an amen on that? It is not about what we can build here. It's about what we're building there. All right? And so how many people are we bringing to the gospel? How many people are we bringing into the walk with Christ? Now, I want to show you something that I showed my Monday night class, um, and, and I want to bring it out with you real quick. I'm going to need a ton of volunteers to work with me very fast, okay? We've been working on your testimony. How many of you remember this statement? Your mission or your ministry is very much possibly going to come through your misery. How many of you remember that statement? It's not my own. I wish I was that smart. All right, but here's the thing. What you go through, it teaches you something. Agree or disagree? All right. What you experience teaches you something. Now, some of us are hard learners, so we have to go through it again and again and again before we get the lesson. Who is that? Say me. All right, yeah, they're not very proud of that, but half the hands went up in the air, all right? So here it is. When it comes to being a witness for God, Satan has this lie that you have to be perfect in order to be used, or you have to have years of faith in order to be used. But I showed them on Monday night, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just grab some people on the front row. Let's just use this front row, all right? So can you see me if I'm down here? Everybody in the balcony, say yes or no. No, Okay. Can you see me here? All right, everybody say, I'm a big target. All right, y'all got it? All right, so watch this. All right, let's say this is the beginning of my growth walk. 
This is where I just learned that Jesus loves me. I just learned that God wants to save me. No matter my story, God didn't say, give me a resume and I'll see if you're worthy of the position. God just simply said, my son has made you worthy. All right? And for some of you sitting here today, maybe that's all you need to hear. Your works cannot determine your worth in God's eyes. God's worth for you was determined through what he poured out on Jesus Christ. You are valuable no matter who you are, where you are, what you've done. All right? That's why we accept you if you smell like pot. We accept you if you smell like alcohol this morning. We accept you. If you came in here, the worst of the worst, if you're the one that everybody says, keep your wife or your husband away from, we love that you are here because God does not want to look at your history and go over a history lesson today. God wants to say, look at the history of my son. Never turned anybody down, never turned anybody away. And if you're broken, you're lost, you're hurting, you're confused. If you're out there and you've been way far away from God, you haven't been as far as you thought because the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. His presence is everywhere. And God will take you where you are just like you are, because it's not about you, it's about Jesus, and that's the good news. All right, so here it is. I just made a decision, and now I've made a decision that I'm going to go to a Monday night small group, or a Wednesday night small group, and I'm going to grow, or Tuesday night restoration ministries at Grace, or, or anywhere. I'm going to grow on my faith, and so I take a step. I am now a qualified teacher. Can you get this? You know what I can teach? That. All right, are you there? I, I don't know about you, but how many of you let fear get in the way of your opportunities? Come on now. How many of you, if a job position opened at your work, you would think of whether or not they would even accept you before you would put a resume in? You'd get in your head before you ever took a step. That's me. Anybody else say me? All right. Hey, here's the thing. This right here is a huge step. This is a step that most people don't take. And by the way, if I can take this step, then I can teach you how to take this step. And you're saying, well, I, I need to be a better Christian before I tell somebody about Jesus. Are you kidding? If that were the case, then their salvation's based on you. And it's not. It's not. It's based on Jesus. And I can simply say, I don't know much about God, but all I know is this. He loves me. He took me just as I am. And right now I'm here knowing I'm loved, trying to figure everything else out. Why don't you step into the love of God and let's go. And now, as I grow, I disciple. And as I disciple him, guess what? He just became a good teacher. Are you following this logic? All right, anybody else want to get in our chain? Just keep coming. All right, I grow. I take one with me. You take, what do you got to do? You got to do. All right, and we keep growing. Somebody else get up here. All right, we keep growing. We keep going. Let's go. Somebody else join them. Let's keep going. I'm going to take a step. Hey, I'm waking up today saying, oh God, I know you love me and I know you care and I'm sorry for all the things I did yesterday. I'll be honest, I didn't get it all right yesterday. Anybody in here do it? So God, hey, forgive me and let's go. Hey, teach me something new. Help me grow today. I don't send my kids to school. My son does not go to school hoping that he comes home good in trigonometry. My son goes to school hoping that he learns a little bit more in math today than he knew yesterday. That, hey, if yesterday was two plus two, today is two plus three. And if we can conquer that, we're growing. Are you with me today? And the truth is this. I can minister all the way back there from here through the one I choose to minister to a step behind me. All right, here's the thing. The church has this mindset of, well, you got to be spiritually mature, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. You know what spiritual maturity is? The Bible says it in Ephesians 4, clearly defined. 
we grow more and more to be like Christ in love. Hey, by the way, you're mature when you can love the person that you really want to smack in the face. You're mature when you can love the person that you don't believe deserves grace. You're mature when you can look and say, my Galatians 6 teaches me that if you knock down, I'm going to help you up. But what I'm going to make sure of is I don't fall into sin too. And I'm going to make sure that as I'm looking not to fall in sin, I'm not judging your sin. I'm realizing that in the eyes of God, all sin is the same. And so therefore, if I'm sitting here and I'm saying, I'm going to help my brother up, I'm not going to fall into his sin. But then I'm going to go tell everybody about his sin. You fell in. You understand? My thing is this, if you help your brother up, the story should be, look at what Jesus can do. Hey, he's not giving up on you. How many of you have given Jesus a good workout? He's ran a marathon to keep up with you, but yet he has stayed with you and loved you anyway. And how many of you are here today, not because you had it all right, but that Jesus stayed by your side in the decades you were getting it wrong. Let's give him a praise today. Come on. That's the thing. Every person qualified and expert at the step they took. You got it? The Bible tells us to go into all the world. But the truth is, as many of us are trying to go with a gospel that we've never even lived, never even received, telling a story where we read, never read the book. When I was in um, 11th grade, or 10th grade, one of the grades, I had to do an oral book report on Romeo and Juliet. I hated that story. And we were supposed to, if it's an oral book report, you, you actually had to read the book. But about the time that it was time for the oral book report, the movie came out. So guess what I gave a report on? <laughs> the movie. Has anybody read Romeo and Juliet? Has anybody watched the movie? They're not the same. You know when I found that out? When at the end, I'm standing in front of my entire class and the English teacher said, did you actually read the book? And in my spiritual state, I said, yes. I did. She said, weird, because it sounds an awful lot like the movie, which is an awful lot different than the book. So I'm going to ask you again, did you read the book or did you watch the movie? And the truth is, I watched the movie. So guess what I got? Yeah, a zero. An F. It's back when they actually examined your work based on what they wanted to see in you rather than what they wanted to appear to be. And so they looked at me and I felt it. My grade went down in the class. I got in trouble at home. And when I went and I tried to explain it to my parents, I tried the sob story first of, I gave a book report and I did everything I was supposed to do. I think too many Christians are living that way. It's like, hey, you know, we're watching the story of how to play church, but we're not reading the story of what church is. And we're, we're looking, can I get real? We're looking at what it looks like, and then we're like, oh, I got the church. I know what it is. I know how it's supposed to be. Let's dress up. Let's put a smile on our face. Let's fake our happiness. Let's act like we like people that we actually hate, and then go talk about them behind their back. Let's, let's, let's reject the world. Let's just simply say, if you don't agree with me, you're not welcome here, but let's not say it that way. Let's just simply say it like, well, they haven't grown in their faith, and so the Bible tells me to get away from them. No, it does not. It says to be a separated life. A separated life means I don't have to do what you're doing, but I'm still going to be present 
Because I'm going to let God be seen in me. Go into all the world is not how much you know and what you can say about the gospel. Going into all the world is how much you can show about how the gospel's real. And we've been watching the movie of church far too long. It's time for the church to get back into the book and realize that the book is different than what we're seeing on Sunday. It's different than what we're playing on Monday. Hey, God did not say he loved us and then fake and leave. God said, I love you. So I'm going to get closer. I'm going to lean in. I'm, I'm going I'm to spiritually seek you. Isn't that a good thing? And I'm thankful for that. Give them a hand. Y'all can be seated. <laughs> Write it down. Ready? A sign of spiritual maturity is being willing to share his story. To being willing to show it in the way that you live. So look at this verse, if you would, with me. In, in Matthew chapter 28, verse number 16, it says, The eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Aren't you thankful for that today? Understand this. Our church is going to radically fail if we're willing to tell the gospel, but we're not willing to teach those that are coming to Christ how to walk out their faith in Christ. And the story doesn't end with your salvation. That is not the best day of your life. I've heard people say, the best day of my Christian faith was the day I got saved. That is a very sad testimony. The best days of your life should have started the day you got saved, but the best day of your life is yet to come. And that's the day you hear a voice shout or a trumpet sound, or you die in this life and you open your eyes there. The best day is when we stand before God and we see him for who he is with a new name and a new life and a new identity and all our sins washed away, all of them never to be brought back up again and stand in eternity without having to worry about that stupid snake ever showing up again and stand there without having to worry about all this temptation and nasty. Your best days are coming and should be the days you're living in your faith, not the day you got saved. That's the start. If the best part of your race is how you start, then you will never finish or not be happy with the place you finish in. Paul said, I press towards the mark. At the end of his life, he said, I finished the race. You know what he said? I kept the faith. I fought. I kept the faith. For some of you who think this is going to be easy, let's wake you up today. It will not be. You think living for the Lord is easy? You are sadly mistaken. Matter of fact, it's the most dangerous thing you can do in our society. Um... I read an article, I sent it, I think, to our elders, or maybe Garrett. We exchange things every now and then uh, on persecution of the church. And uh, there's a lot of countries, about 38 countries, that killed and and martyred, each of them in between six to 10,000 Christians last year. And it's almost a race to see how many they can kill. All right, I'm going to tell you this now. We, We in America are so spoiled, we think it'll never happen to us. Uh, uh, but I, I'll, I'll be honest, it's right around the corner. If you live until the day Jesus returns, we're going to go through it. Um, you say, well, I don't want to be a part of faith. I, I'll say this, and, and we're looking at our men's conference, and, and, and we kind of talked about this idea. Somebody brought it up about talking about persecution. And I said, well, how in the world can we teach our men to survive persecution when we can't even teach them to get up and go to church with their families? We can't even teach them to be a godly man at home. You'll never survive persecution 
if you ain't walking with the Lord today. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, hey, in our church, I think we look at, oh, well, we're going to do this. I'll die for my faith. You won't die for your faith if you've never shared your faith. I'm telling you that now. If you're not telling somebody about Jesus Christ, what makes you think it's going to be different when it's illegal? What makes you think it's going to be different when it's tested? What do you think? You say, well, you know, when that day comes, I'll be ready. You won't be ready then if you ain't doing something now. It's like this. You can't run a marathon until you first run a mile. And if you can run a mile, then you can run two. You can run three. I don't even know how long a marathon is. Somebody help me out. 26? Did I get there? Am I right? Is it 26? All right, there you go. I've never ran a marathon. (laughs) I've gotten halfway, but that is it. The truth is this. We'll never get there if we don't start here. So today, let's look at this. Today, we're going to talk about the go. The go is the easy part. Anybody can go down the road. Matter of fact, can I tell you how easy is the go? You do it every day. You go to work, you go to school, you go to church, you're always going, right? How many of you would agree that we go into the world on a daily basis? Raise your hand. I don't have to teach you how to go. Matter of fact, my sermon today, I thought about how do I write a whole sermon on go? There's no such thing. You already do it. It's what you do when you go. That's what makes a difference. It's what are you showing when you go? Now, I was going to save this for the end, but I'm going to bring it out right now. Please understand this, that I've come across a lot of people who have a very Pharisee way of sharing the gospel. They want to tell you everything they know about the scripture and beat you up with everything they know about the Bible, but they don't want to tell you anything about Jesus. It's all about what they know. Now, I've said this statement. I heard it. I think it's 5,700 verses that the Pharisees had to have memorized in order to be a Pharisee. The first five books of the law, it might be a little more, give or take, 5,700. 57. How many of you can remember 5,700 verses right now? All right. They had to be able to quote it. I heard a pastor say this. They knew every word in the word, but they couldn't recognize the word when it showed up. They crucified it. I'm going to tell you this right now. Ready? Your soul. The go happens naturally. Your sow is a very important season, and you have to look at the message. What is the message? The message is Jesus. It's not you. What has Jesus done? How many of you, like uh, Miss Deborah, could stand up here and say, this is what Jesus has done for me? How many of you got a story like that? Amen. How many of you got a salvation story of what Jesus has done for you? Say amen. Talk to me. All right. How many of you could tell this week of something that Jesus has done for you? Say amen to that. Anybody experienced Jesus today already? Amen. All right, so here it is. The, the story is Jesus. That's the message. Where we royally mess it up is the method. All right? Um, I'm going to say something very controversial here, but I think it needs to be said. The method is not a sermon. The method is not a study that you wrote. I hear too many people saying that the sow, and the sow has three different areas. Ready? Write it down. We're going to hit it. It has a plant season. It has a water season and it has a grow season. All right. Can I tell you this? Some people are constantly shoving their faith down people's throats and wondering why they're getting negative results. All right. The truth is this. You cannot expect a tree to pop out of a seed immediately when you put the seed in the ground. And the Bible said some plant and some water, but what happens? Somebody tell me God gives the increase. And the truth is, is there's some people that believe they are the gospel and you are not. 
They believe they are the ones that, and they, they go and they browbeat and they do it. I, I said it to somebody the other day who wanted to argue and argue and argue, which my Bible, two times by Paul, who wrote three times, three fourths of the New Testament, two times he said, stay away from people that just want to argue. All right. He said, it only leaves strife and contention, talking about believers teaching Timothy. And so I, I, I've stood by them as they want to argue what they believe is right and argue this and throw their faith, throw their faith, throw their faith. And they don't even give somebody a chance to understand their need of Jesus. And so they, they start trying to make them need their words. And I'm going to tell you this right now. You ready? The gospel is not a word. The Bible says in John 1 that in the beginning was the what? And the word was with God and the word was God. Here it is. Don't miss this. And the word became flesh. Oh, I love this. In Matthew chapter number five, verse number 16, he's saying this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. So let your light shine before men so that they can hear. No, let your light shine so they can see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Hey, the gospel isn't a story. The gospel is a man nailed to a tree, buried in a tomb, walking out of the tomb three days later. The gospel is not just about Jesus came and he wants to love you. The gospel has visual, visual, visual effects that Jesus showed us the love of God. God loved, he gave, he gave, he died. He died, he rose again. He rose again. He ascended to the Father. Meaning this, you can get up. You can rise. You can go to the Father. I told somebody yesterday, who better to tell the story about a man who can raise people from the dead than the dead man or the alive one that never died? Who better than a Lazarus or a me? Let's get Lazarus on the stage to tell that story. Why? He can show it. The gospel is visual. It is seen. If we do not care, we cannot share. Jesus showed the love of God. I've heard people say, if I could preach, I would beat people up. And I promise you this, you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. I promise you this, you do not know the gospel. Because Jesus, here it is, John said, if we wrote down the miracles he did, we couldn't contain it. But we have his sermons. We have those. Because the truth is this, if you're a sower, you're a doer. And the Bible says in James, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. In other words, hey, my life is the greatest testimony of what God can do. Your life is the greatest testimony of what you can do. I love Pastor Chris. He's not here today, so let's talk about him. Ready? Pastor Chris, I've heard him say multiple times when people want to argue and argue and argue. And believe it or not, we get this a lot. And people want to argue. I always hear him saying, I love it. It's like a mic drop statement. He goes, how many people have you personally led to the Lord? And it's almost like that argument stops. Because what good is all this stuff you're wanting to throw down our throats if you've never been the reason somebody's come to Jesus Christ? It's worthless. Are you with me? Our most effective ministries are not done on this stage. Sunday is not when your faith is built. Sunday is when we give you an idea of what you can build your faith on. But your faith is built through action. Faith without works is... And if faith without works is dead, then what good is a faith you're trying to tell somebody else to grab if they can't see the work and the fruit and effects of it? The truth is, is you can tell somebody all day long. You can do this, 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 you can do this. The world is just dying for somebody to show me how. Show me. 
Give me something real. I promise you, if somebody walked out right now and said, I've got the cure to cancer, here's somebody who's on their deathbed and now they have zero cancer, people would perk up. I promise you, if somebody were to come out right now and say, hey, forget the vaccines, it's not what I said, forget the vaccines, I've got the cure for COVID, how many of us would jump up and down and say, thank God it's over? Right? Come on now, talk to me. All right? If somebody could come up with a little antidote to the overthinking mind, how many of us would be like in line for that? Yeah, if somebody could just solve the stress problem, you know, then we would listen. I promise you right now, if your grandma who's been buried and dead got out of the grave today, you'd listen to everything she had to say. Amen? After you decided whether or not you were going to stay or run. (laughs) You know, that's why the Bible teaches us that when Jesus rose from the dead, he spent the next 40 days appearing to people. He's showing himself. It wasn't a rumor. It was actually recorded history that they saw him. They were bribing people, as we said in the beginning, to to try to slow down the gospel. The church went from 120 people within 10 years to be 120,000. And not in a time when, when it was cool to go to church. In a time when they didn't even have a church building, so they met in the courtyard of the temple. All right, follow this. In a time when their loved ones were being uh, tied up into dead animal carcasses and thrown out for Roman entertainment in the Colosseum to be eaten and torn apart in front of their very own children. In a time when they would light the streets of Rome with the bodies of burning believers crucified, running down the street. At one point in history, it is said that there was a stretch of 10 miles of Christians and believers being burned as they lit up a whole road of believers that were standing for Christ. It wasn't a time when it was cool to say, I believe in Jesus, but it grew the most it's ever grown in a 10-year span. Why? Because they didn't hear the gospel. They saw the gospel. And if they see the gospel, they won't change for anybody else and the reason we don't see in a live church is they're seeing too many believers and not enough Jesus proof my wife made a statement to me um, last week it's a true statement I'm going to give her credit so if you get mad you can get mad at her and it's like this it is easier to get treated better by an unbeliever than it is to be treated by a believer when you've made a mistake How many of you have lived that? Raise your hand. People in their spirituality will condemn people. Where people who aren't spiritual at all will try to help them up. That's a problem. The gospel says, let me show you. Let me tell you a story about a man named Abraham who got to an age of his life that that he thought the plan of God was too far gone. He was too old. And so what did Abraham do? He made his own plan. And he went and he slept with Hagar. And him and his wife came up with this plan because God promised a nation. And instead of living and waiting on the promise of God, he took the promise into his own hands and created the enemy that is now the father of the Islamic nations who have had issue with Israel ever since. And they have fought again and again and again. I'll be honest with you. While we're impatient, let's learn this. Abraham proved two things. Number one, when we're impatient, we can create our biggest enemies. Agree or disagree? Well, he also taught us this, that even though you were impatient, God's still faithful to the promise. 
that God will make it happen. Even if you've messed up your life, even if you live for the world more than you live for God, God can still use you. There is no such thing as God withdrawing from your life, his plan and purpose. The Bible says in Romans, the callings and giftings of God are without repentance. I think you handed me that verse just a few weeks ago after a service. Listen to me right now. Abraham teaches us a valuable lesson. What about Noah, the drunk? What about Lot, who in Peter, we're told, was a righteous man, but couldn't even convince 10 people in his whole country to come for God because of the lifestyle he lived. Follow this, and I want you to understand. The Bible doesn't give us a bunch of rules and regulations. The Bible spends the entire Old Testament giving us a bunch of examples of people who fell and got up, including entire nations. The Bible shows us grace from beginning to end. That when Adam and Eve ate and should have got death, they got the mercy of God. And in his mercy, he removes them from the garden so that they don't eat the tree of life and stay that way forever. Hey, you say, well, I'm uncomfortable and God's rocking my world. It's because he refuses to let you stay in the Eden that's going to keep you trapped the rest of your life. All right, understand this and get this. We look at the word of God and all we see is his grace again and again, his mercy again and again and again. What should have been a failure story in a man named David who had an affair and murdered, mass murdered a group of men and the acts is told he became a man after God's own heart. Hey, there's hope, there's hope. And God didn't just say, I will love you. He showed us how he loves. And it's time for the world to realize that a so season is a show season. It's a let me show you the love of God. Let me show you how it works. The method is love. Say that with me. The method is? The method is what? Jesus is the message. Love is the method. Together we'll go and accomplish the great commission through the great commandments. Rick Warren used to say, abrasive is never persuasive. I told somebody the other day, If I took two people and stuck them in downtown Chattanooga, Knoxville, one preached on the love and the grace and the acceptance of God, and one preached on hell, promise you, that person will have more conversations than that one. You say, well, hell's a real place. I believe that. The church would be very much lying to themselves to pretend that that place did not exist. Jesus actually even told us about hell. He didn't even use a parable. He used a real life story. How do we know? Because he used a real name. And in parables, they never used real names. He talks about Lazarus, not the Lazarus that rose from the dead, but a Lazarus that died and he went and was carried by the angels into heaven. How many of you have heard this story? The Bible says, how many of you have not heard this story? Raise your hand. All right. Wow. Wow. We're behalf. Okay. So let's tell it. Are y'all good with it? How many of you are like a good review? Y'all want a good review real quick? All right. So the rich man dies, carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Rich man was a beggar in life. Literally dogs were his antidote and healing and his medicine. They came and licked his sores. That's the only way he got any relief. A rich man sat in his house, never did anything. You know why the rich man doesn't get a name, but Lazarus does? Because in heaven, there's an identity in hell. You have none. All right. Are you following this? Stay with me. Now I'll be honest with you. I want you to focus. This is the place where most people who do not agree with love as the method will not like the sermon. All right, I'm just going to, warning, they'll leave the sermon. Why? Because they want to be dominant. I'm telling you this right now. God does not want to dominate you. He wants to fellowship with you. There's a whole different mindset. So Lazarus gets carried, the rich man goes. And in hell, the Bible says, the rich man lifted his eyes being in torments and flame and said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus so that he can dip the tip of his finger in water and come and cool my tongue because I'm tormented in this flame. 
The Bible talks about that hell is a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. There's weeping, there's gnashing of teeth. Matter of fact, you want an image of hell? Read the Psalm, chapter 22, trilogy of the Bible, 22, 23, 24 is the trilogy of the cross. And in 22, the Bible says the bulls of Bashan, which are the demons of hell, gnawed on the body of Jesus as he hung on the cross. All right, I want you to understand this. It is a real, literal place. But you know what that place was designed for? The Bible clearly states this, that it was made for the devil and his angels, not you and not me. It was made for the third that rebelled against God and the enemy, Satan, that warred against God. And I've heard this question and I've been asked this. How can a God of love send someone to hell? He doesn't. Are you with me? They said, well, they cast them in the lake of fire. No, he doesn't. He gave them a choice and gave them a way to heaven. If you go to hell, it's you've rejected his son. You say, what about those that haven't heard? I'm glad you asked the question. Isn't it time that we get the news out? So that's not the case. Stop saying, well, God's condemnation can't come on those that haven't heard. The Bible says he is in everything. Romans 1 says they cannot say that they did not know God because God is in all. You say, well, I don't believe that. Every tribe that has been found in remote areas, get this, has a God. Every single belief system that has ever lived, every nation that's ever existed has had a God. Now wrap your mind around that. We're not saying the true living God, but it is innate. It's built in. It's the nature of mankind to know that there is something bigger and something more powerful than us out there. And so God's sending his gospel out. Guess, guess what? We're the evidence of the gospel of God. And so here it is, hell's there, and it's enlarging itself. But I want you to understand this. Jesus preached on heaven and a relationship with a father 20 times to one when it came to preaching on hell. He let us know it's real. But more important, he let us know this. You have a heavenly father that loves you and cares for you. The love of God is the anthem of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The love of God is the anthem of every sermon. The love of God. I'll be honest with you. My Bible tells me, and if you got the same one, it should tell you in 1 John that it's love that covers a multitude of sins. It's love that drives out fear. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that now abides faith, hope, and love. But even God said and declared that the greatest of these is what? Love. In other words, it's this. If you have faith and you have hope, but you don't have love, you have no ministry. If you got love, oh, you can change the world. There are more songs written in secular music about love than any other topic. I mean, if I were to say, somebody scream out, tell me a title of a love song. I will always love you, reckless love. Come on, give me another one. Oh, you know it. Hey, and I'm going to say this again. I hate to do this. If you called to preach, preach, but don't do it while somebody else is. All right, don't be a distraction. If you're under conviction, come talk to me. If something I'm saying doesn't line up, come talk to me. Don't take a service and use it as your opportunity to talk to somebody else and distract them from what God's trying to get this. At the end of the day, it's not about what you know. It's about what God knows and what God's trying to share. And I'm sick and tired of Christians trying to get people rallied around hate when the cross screams love with every word that was spoken from it. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Hey, hey, God did not crucify his son so we could hate each other. 
He crucified his son, so it's not about, I like how Colossians says it, it's no longer male or female, Jew or Gentile. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. When George Floyd happened and all those things were going on, I was sidelined by my own sin, sidelined. And I went to my wife with tears in my eyes and I said, somebody needs to take a stage. And talk about how God is not a God who is looking at people based on their race. And God is not a God looking at people based on their gender. That God is a God looking at people with the same equal opportunity that everyone is welcome at the throne. And everyone is welcomed into grace. God does not see you. He sees his son and the possibilities of who you could be if his son was in you. Here's the truth. We have too many people that want to be heard. And I think it's time that the church says, I want to make God known. I want to show him. Jesus even said, when you came to the prison to visit me, when you came to the hospital to visit me. And they said, we didn't go to jail. You didn't go to jail. We didn't come visit you. He said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking today, go is easy. But so, we're too impatient as a society to let that take its place. Are y'all with me today? This isn't an easy message. Probably not one of the Great Commission messages you've ever heard before. I've, got, I've been in church since I was probably conceived. And I've heard so many takes on it. I've heard the condemnation of women in jeans. I've heard the condemnation of people wearing jeans to church. I've heard the condemnation on how a man should be in shorts, I guess, unless he's on a basketball court, and then it's somehow acceptable to God. Right? I've heard that thou shalt not go to movies. I've heard that don't watch this, don't do this, don't listen to this, don't do that. How many of you have heard these things? I've heard all the man-made things on what makeup you should wear and earrings you should have or haven't had. And should you cut your hair or should you not? Should you have a beard or should you not? We need to be like Jesus, yet none of them preached it in a tunic. None of them stood there in what Jesus would have wore. And yet every one of them had an opinion of how we should follow. I've heard the Baptists say that the Methodists are lost. I've heard the Methodists say that the Baptists are lost. I've heard the non-denominational say they're non-denomination, even though non-denomination is a denomination. <laughs> even atheism is a denomination. I've gone to church and heard so many sermons on, on, on the legalism of God. My heart was not set free by how perfect I could become. My heart was set free by how imperfect I was, and yet he loved me anyway. How broken I was, and yet he loved me anyway. I don't have to stand in front of you, a totally perfect man, because I can stand in front of you, a totally honest man, saying 
that if my Savior can write in the word that he was tempted, I have temptations too. I, I love Oreos and cookies, and I love these things. And I, I mean, there's other things. You can get tempted. How many of you got temptation in your life? Raise your hand. You can still be used by God. Jesus was tempted. You don't have to be absent temptation. Temptation's not a failure. It's what you do with temptation that matters. And it, the Bible says that with temptation, God makes a way of what? Escape. And he also says he's not going to let the devil get on you more than you're able to resist. In other words, I got some power today and so do you. I mean, he took my record of wrongs and he publicly shamed the enemy with it. That's Colossians, right? God is not screaming shame on you. God is not in heaven today pointing out every mistake you're making. God is calling you home and God is calling you to a better life and God is calling you to a deeper faith and God is calling you to a walk and he says your faith requires some proof. Faith without works, it's not how much can I work to earn God. It's how much can I work because of God. What can I do because he loves me? I can't stand here and preach today without first battling shame and guilt every single time. I told somebody this week, if you think that I'm arrogant enough to want to be a pastor after what I did, you are sadly mistaken. I don't know that I want to pastor the rest of my life, but today in his grace, I'm a pastor. And today in his grace, he gave me a message. And today in his grace, I will make that known. Despite the fear in my life, despite the nauseated feeling I had before we started preaching, despite the shame of am I worthy, I will stand here, not because I am able, but because he is good. And he's been so good to me. I got a lot I don't deserve. Any me twos? I've seen a lot that I shouldn't have been shown. I've been given a lot that I shouldn't have. I, I've got restoration that I don't deserve and haven't earned. I'm thankful today that it is God saying, I want you to prove that you believe, not God saying, I'll approve if you believe. He's saying, just do something. And the so season is about us putting the effort in. Wade sent me this verse today, Isaiah 60, verse number one. Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all, here's that word again, to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. You know what? It's the worst in the room that God can use the most in the room. When we realize we're little, isn't that what the Bible says? Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. He exalts the humble. But let's put it, he humbles the exalted. Am I right? He, he, he makes the weak powerful and the powerful weak. The Bible says he will make the wise look ignorant. But the ignorant becomes wise. I don't know about you, but one of the reasons I love the word of God so much is because every time I read a verse like that, I realize there's hope for somebody like me. And I'm telling you this right now and get this in your mind. The love of God in experience has never led me to want to sin against him. 
The more I know he loves me, the more I want to love back. Anybody say me too? Raise your hand on that. We used to say it this way. If I paid off your debt, I doubt you would slice my tires to repay me. Right? I mean, I'm sure if somebody came in and radically paid off all your debts, how many of you would try to think of a way just to show appreciation? And I've been told this, you preach a love gospel and that makes people want to sin. Mm -mm. You experience love and you don't want to break it. You don't want to hurt it. And God's been too good to me. I'll tell you this right now. If God's been this good to you, don't go back. Don't for a moment in the valley of the shadows think that life was better behind. The wilderness may be tough and you don't know what God's teaching you right where you are, but there's a promise ahead of you. Egypt is not what you thought it was. Don't go back. The truth is you keep moving forward. And the more you experience God's love, the more you want to show it. I'll be honest with you. Here's what I told Frida. I think it was Frida. Am I right, Frida? Was it you? Tell me after I say it because you don't even know what I'm saying. She called me and she said she heard of a a church that at one time just went door to door giving out bread. Was that you? And it made me realize that I was thinking, let's go to McGuire Road and let's just introduce ourselves. But I put her with the task, I'm going to put it with you. What could we do for them? Instead of going to their doors and saying, we're Grace Community Church, how can I pray for you? Come on. Hey, listen. Hey, that, that's great and all, but you can pray for them without asking. All right, you with me? Well, what can we do? Can we knock on a door and realize that this person can't mow their yard? And so maybe for a whole mow season, we mow it for free. Can we knock on a door and realize that this person can't get to work because their car's not running and some of you mechanics go get nerd out and sit underneath their car in their hood and get something going for them and get maybe something up and running? Can we go to them and you say, well, that's going to cost us money. I'm going to tell you this right now. Any dime it cost us doesn't cost us near as much as it cost our Savior to hang on a cross and give his life for us. And if we could just go and say, let us show you that we love you, we're expecting nothing in return. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you this now. If you're inviting people to your church before you're inviting them to the kingdom, then you have your priorities off. You say, well, I have a hard time with the gospel. I get that. We will help you. Don't take that wrong. But the truth is this. It doesn't matter if you're a member of this church or that church. What matters is, is your name. In the Lamb's book of life, is your name recorded in heaven? And can we get it there? Do you know my Jesus? Yesterday, I was standing with a pastor at Mobile Life House. Which, by the way, thank you for all you that give in Friday nights and Saturdays to Mobile Lifehouse and KOZ. Y'all do amazing things this past weekend. And, and I was standing with a pastor, and a lady pulled up, and, 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 and she started talking. And the more you talked, you, you had one of these faiths that was, I'm trying to get to heaven. How many of you have heard that? I'm trying to get to heaven. And we leaned in that car, and we said, did you know you could know how to get there? Did you know that you could know if you're going to heaven? You don't have to try. You don't have to work. You don't have to be, I hope I make it. I can tell you how you can know you can make it. The Bible says in Ephesians, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
There's nothing you can do to earn it, and there's no good you could do to be good enough. But there is a grace that is bigger than any sin you've ever had. There's a mercy that is offered that's greater than any mistake you've ever made. There's a Savior that gave his life so you could find one. Take off your old nature. Put on your new nature. Your hope and my hope is not in this church. It is in who God is and who Jesus has showed us that God is to us. It's time the church starts showing. We do that planting seeds, which requires patience, right? You ever wanted to look at somebody and say, I wish you could just get this. Like, what? Why can't you understand? How many of you have ever been there? Come on now. All right. Some of you are thinking of your husbands right now, right? Your kids. None of you husbands are brave enough to think of your wife that way, right? No, not a chance. That's what DJ said. Sometimes we present the gospel. We want an immediate decision, an immediate maturity, an immediate faith walk. That doesn't happen that way. Plant the seed. Just let people know. Some of the best things you can do is your life can be better than this. I don't mean this disrespectfully, and I don't want to say their name in case anybody's watching online, but there's a certain person sitting in the front row that I keep telling deserves a better job than the one she has. It's Tammy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> She's got so much to give. And we live in a world that'll take everything you got to give and leave you with nothing. You know, I'm going to keep telling her that. But you know what I'm doing beyond that? I'm looking for jobs. Not for me, for her. And when I find it, I'm going to kick her butt until she takes it. Not really. I'm going to get Deborah on her. <laughs> you in, Deborah? You with me? All right, good. Okay, that's okay. We won't watch. That way we won't know. <laughs> Here's the thing. Listen to me. I want you to understand this. Some people in their life just need to hear they deserve better because the enemy keeps telling them this is all they deserve. The enemy keeps looking at them and saying, you don't deserve another chance. You don't deserve to get married again. You don't deserve to walk in peace. You don't deserve to preach. You don't deserve this. But Jesus said you deserve all of heaven. You deserve everything God has given me. You will rule and reign with him forever. That should blow your mind. If there's a table I don't deserve to sit at, it's the one that Jesus sits at. But somehow, in some way, there's a seat at that table for me. And sometimes planting a seed simply means, hey, snap out of it. You are not your addiction. You are not your bankruptcy. You are not the label of the disease on your life. You are not those things. You are chosen. You are called. You are loved. You are wanted. You are desired. You are valuable. You are powerful today. Plant the seed. Just sometimes that's, you know how good it is to actually see you today? I, I, I told Deborah this on the phone this week. She let out that she talked to me. I'm going to let out I talked to her too. And I said, there's, there's a certain element you bring to a service that's absent when you're missing. Anybody been here when Deborah gets all fired up? You say, yeah, today. No, this was not all fired up. 
Somebody half wound that toy. If it was fully wound, a balcony shakes. Am I right? There was one day, Deborah, that somebody in the seat you're sitting in today, and we still cannot locate the person, got excited and started shouting. We physically thought it was you, and you were not even here. It has been a mystery that we have been trying to figure out. It was your voice, your sound, your everything came from that area, and we could not find it. And I just thought, okay, what if God just kind of dropped in saying, hey, don't forget your sister. You know, sometimes you just need to know you're valuable. Yesterday, I was watching, and I'll close soon, I promise. Yesterday, I was watching Alabama play, and uh, they stuck in this kid that never plays, number 30. I mean, this guy's as tall as me. And uh, he shot a three, and he made it, and that whole arena went nuts because the kid never gets to play. They were up by 40, 50 points, and... And the announcer made a statement. <clears throat> he said, sometimes it's good for you to see the kid that's on the scout team that gets beat up by the ones you always see. The one that's practicing and sweating and bleeding just like the other guys, but never makes the court. Sometimes they need to be noticed because they are just as important as the people that play every day. And I thought to myself, what kind of church would we have if we didn't just talk about the pastors, but we also talked about the people that picked up the garbage this morning before you got here? What if we talked about the people that are making the phone calls? I got a text message yesterday, a few days ago, from somebody saying the card that y'all sent us meant the world to us. And my first thought was, what card did we send? Because I didn't have anything to do with it. But Rachel Keys is making sure that if we got the birth date, they're getting the card. And the text message read, it meant the world to my daughter, who is little bitty. And I thought to myself, you know what? If Jesus was here, he'd be saying, there is no little bitty. Let's make sure everybody gets noticed. Get out of the way of the children. They deserve to come to the kingdom. Matter of fact, I'd rather you act like a child more than you act like yourself. Church, I need you to understand this today. If we are going into a so season, then be patient with people and realize that not everybody's going to come in with the faith you have. Now that everybody's going to come and look at, not only do you need to be patient with it, but in, in the water season, we got to understand that there's got to be some consistency. There's got to be some tender compassion. I use the word tender on purpose because I think sometimes we just have compassion and passion and we run people over. Tender says, I'm not leaving you behind. Tender says, I'm not giving up on you. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. God never gave you the right to walk out on somebody. He never gave you the right to look down on somebody. Watering takes time. It takes time. But it also takes availability. you got to be present, right? And then lastly, we got to allow the seed to grow. Sometimes that means you got to go out. Yesterday, my, 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 my fence blew down in my yard. I'm not the most efficient builder in the world. And so I thought, how can I get this to where, okay, I thought about how to repair it. I don't want to sound better than I actually am. I got so sick and tired of having to walk my dog in the cold that I wanted something that I could let my dog out, me stay in the warm, and him go use the bathroom. All right, that's the better way to say it, all right? So I thought, and I thought, how can I do this? And I went, and I got it, and 
got one of these temporary little fences and some posts. And, 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 and I realized this walking through the thing. How many of you have ever had to nail one of those green stakes in the yard to hang something on and you hit your hand about 15 times and it seems like there are yards full of nothing but rocks and you can't get it to go? Come on, how many of you have experienced this moment? And so I'm, I'm thinking about that moment and I'm like, I'm just trying to figure out what kind of hammer. I asked the guy, what kind of hammer do I need? to put this down into the yard where I'm not breaking my hand in the process, I'm an amateur. And the man looked at me and says, you don't need a hammer at all, son. You just need the right tools, and it won't be as hard as you're trying to make it be. I'm like, okay. So he takes me over to this little thing that looks like a, a missile. <laughs> Am I right? Okay, some of you know what I'm talking about. And all you do is you pick it up over top of it, and you just hit down. I'm telling you what, I, I repaired the fence in like 13 minutes. Because then I was like, how do I connect it to the pole? Some of this, y'all are going to be like, you should have thought it. Zip ties. I was getting screws and justifying my need for a new screw gun. And then I was going to get two by fours and nail them to the bottom and screw them together. I mean, I had this elaborate thing. I'm walking around Home Depot looking like I'm about to go build a house and all I'm really trying to do is repair 12 feet of fence. And the guy said, you need to put all this back. He probably saved me $300. And he said, you just need to get the right tools. So you need this, you need this, you need this, you need this. And I go home and in 13 minutes, I'm back in my house. You know why? Because somebody that wanted to know how went to the place where they thought they could find the stuff they needed. And in doing that, they just grabbed what they thought they needed. They put it in the cart, and it was pricey. But then all of a sudden, somebody who actually knew how was at the place that the person who wanted to know how showed up. Walks up to the person and says, hey, no, son, you need the right tools. Takes out of the cart, what doesn't need to be, puts into the cart, what doesn't, do you see where I'm going with this? We got too many people coming to church wanting to know how. They don't know how to rebuild their marriages. They don't know how to rebuild their families. They don't know how to get off their drugs. They don't know how to recover from their affair. They don't know how to get out of their sin. They don't know how, so they're grabbing everything they can get. And the burden is on them. And they can't afford everything that it's going to cost them. They don't have the time to go to every small group. They don't have the time to be at every service. They don't have the money to afford the counselor. They don't know how, but their cart is full because they're desperate. And by God, there needs to be people when they show up wanting to know how that say, hey, no son, no daughter of the most living high. You don't need the world here. You don't need Dr. Phil. You don't need a 12-step help, help you book, get off your feet. You don't need all these other things. Here's what you need. You need a little bit of grace, a little bit of mercy. You need this tool and this tool. And you can do this if you simply have the right tools. And sowing gives us the patience to allow it to grow and let them learn how to stand on their own instead of teaching them to be dependent on us. It's time that the church becomes independent of a building and totally dependent on God. And we just need to be the ones that walk up and say, you just had the right tools. Yeah, it's going to take time and it's going to take effort. But with the right tools, you can be a whole new person. With the right tools, you can go a whole lot further.
Somebody asked me in the parking lot, do I have what it takes to be a deacon? I said, you already are one. You're doing everything a deacon does. It's not about if you have what it takes. It's are you willing to do what a deacon needs to do? And you already are. Are you with me today, church? We need some people like my Home Depot buddy who says, hey, the bill's already been paid by Jesus. Why are you carrying the load? Just take the tools that God has said. Number one, I want to rebuild your marriage. It doesn't start with Ephesians, wives, submit to your husbands. What's the verse before that? Submit to one another. We don't preach that verse. Submit to one another. In other words, it's like this. I don't like me. I don't like you. You don't like you. You don't like me. We don't like where we are. But let's get determined we're going to go in the same direction. And let's submit to the fact of, you tell me what I need to do better. I'll tell you what you need to do better. But we're going to go to God to see how we can get better. And I'll promise you this. If your marriage is recovering, one of you is seeking Jesus with everything. And eventually the other will come on board. The truth is this, though. If you're not seeking Jesus and you're seeking the restoration of your marriage, you're putting too much in the buggy and it ain't going to work. I can go on and on. Let's talk about your drugs. Let's talk about your alcohol. If, you, if you're seeking to get off those things, you'll never get off. But if you're seeking something better than those things, it'll help you change. You say, I need to be fulfilled. Hey, your dad was terrible to you your entire life. Ladies, they were absent from your life. Men, they didn't show you everything. Stop thinking that you're going to find yourself in the arms of somebody else and realize that what your dad was supposed to be for you, your father has stepped in to become. And he is saying, hey, let me love you. Let me reach you. Let me build you up. Let me tell you who you are. We need a church that says, come, we'll plant some seeds. We'll water some seeds. But sometimes you got to plant a rod by a young tree so the tree can go straight. You You've got to do what it takes to let it grow, to let it grow. Can I tell you something? Your opinions will never grow anyone. But his word will blossom and bloom them all day long. So get your opinion out of it. Let his word be in it. And watch God do something in somebody's life that you and I can't do. We want people to come to our faith, but they'll never be strong so they have their own. Does that make sense? Bow your heads, close your eyes. In just a moment, guess what you're going to go into? Your go season. We're going to let you go. The question is, what are you going to sow? How do I know what I'm sowing? It's what I'm showing. They will watch you. How many of you have heard this? 70% of what you say does not come out your mouth. Most of the communication is done with the eyes and ears, your body language. If that's the truth, and can we say this? Most of the gospel does not come out from a sermon. It comes out from a living proof that the gospel works. So is there anybody in the place today that is a living, believing child of God? You know you've put your faith in him that will say to heaven where you sit, teach me how to show the world your love and your grace. Anybody in here say, God, show yourself through me. Would you slip your hand up? You know, show yourself through me. Take your hands down. I'm going to say this. If you want to grow in your faith, you have to share it. Started with that illustration. One step makes you a teacher. Share what God has done. 
But people aren't going to believe what you share until they see that you care. Every time Jesus went into a place, he healed their sick, he raised their dead, he fed the hungry, he did the things that needed to be done, and then shared the love of God. It was the care that brought him in, the share that set him free. Hey, we need a church that cares. Stand with me, grab somebody's hand. I would be failing you today if we didn't give you an opportunity before we leave to put your faith in him. And if you have never accepted God, never accepted Christ as your Savior, your salvation's not based on your attendance today, nor how fast you can get to an altar. Your salvation's based on how willing you are to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And where you stand today, you can make him Savior of your heart. The Bible says, confess him as Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. And right there where you are, the condition of your salvation isn't based on how you came. It's based on who he is. You will not get into heaven based on your name. You get a new name in heaven. You'll get in heaven based on his name, the name that doesn't change. And so I want you to understand today that before you leave here, you can be a totally different person, a totally different family, a totally different life, simply by giving Jesus Christ your heart. And if you've never done that, I'll tell you this now. You will never share a faith that you haven't first experienced. And so I tell you today, Pastor Chris said this to a group the other day. He said, the reason we're not seeing the church come alive is we're preaching to the lost, expecting them to do believer's work. The truth is this, if we're going to change the world, we've got to believe in Christ first. So heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody look around. Right there where you stand, if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, It's not based on what you know about God. It's based on what you're willing to believe. Do you believe that God loved you enough to send his son? If the answer is yes, do you believe that that son died on a cross for your sins? And you say, well, how do I know that? Well, I'll tell you, the Bible tells us that. But if you even put the Bible aside, history tells us that. It's recorded in secular history. It's recorded in many, many books outside of the word of God. It is not a theory. It is a fact. Matter of fact, you can get in an airplane, fly over to Israel today, and walk into the tomb where Jesus' body was laid and find that it is not there. It's fact. The truth is, is you don't have to believe some mythical thing. You just got to believe that he rose from the dead, that his body didn't just disappear, but he came out in power, taking control of any control that hell or Satan had over you. And today you can be free. You can be known by the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, not by your actions and your works, but by who he is. And if you believe he's the son of God and believe he raised from the dead, the Bible says, confess it. You'll confess that with your mouth today. There's a God that gives a promise that he will save you no matter who you are, no matter what condition you came. So where you stand, if you've never accepted Christ, the greatest decision you have ever made is in this moment right here, right now. Will you give your heart to him? And if today's the day you want to accept him, it's not a conversation you need to have with me. It's a conversation you need to have with him. And simply stated, you can just simply talk to God and tell him, I need your salvation. I believe. I give you my heart. Put it in your words. It's not mine. And let God's promise come true. So I'm going to give just a few seconds. For anybody that's here or online that's never accepted Christ, to right now in this moment, to declare him the Lord of your life.
Is there anybody here today that where they're standing would say, today's the day I've given my heart to Jesus Christ. I'm going to declare him as Lord and accept him as Savior. Would you just slip your hand up? Is there anybody like that? You're going to have to let go of somebody else's hand to do that. All right, amen. God bless you. There's something about this front row up here. All right, that's like three weeks in a row. Anybody else join this one saying, today's the day I give my heart to Jesus Christ. All right, do let go of somebody's hand. Let's celebrate the one, right? Let's do that. Amen. Melissa, right? Melissa. She got saved last week, all right? So you're in good company, all right? We're so thankful you're here, and we're, gonna, we're making you a promise, and it's to her too. She can actually tell you this is true. We do want to help you grow. We're excited in that. As long as God gives us the opportunity, we want to pour into your life. So my prayer is, is that some of the ladies in this church here, you got a good one sitting beside you, all right? We'll take you under their wing and pour you in. The salvation is a great step. That faith walk gets better and better. Okay, so we're thankful for you. We're celebrating your salvation today. God bless you. Let's pray. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm not supposed to close in prayer because I get trapped on the stage. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close in prayer and I'm going to run. So y'all right here, give me a two-second break before you move. Is that right? I don't know why I'm standing like this. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's true. That's true. Give me a three-step head. All right, let's pray. All right, we love you. Don't forget, if you want your child and kids worship, please, five minutes after service, we're going to start. Have them right here in the middle auditorium. We'll get going. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the one that came to salvation. Not-